Capability Champions Network is a brilliant way to build internal capabilities and change the culture of your organization to make inclusive design business as usual. So let's hear from Google, Microsoft, Barclays and the BBC about how they do it. Hello, my name is Christopher. I am the lead, uh, I guess now I'm the head of accessibility programs at Google. And um, in regards to the, what that means is we sort of set how, it, how it, Google becomes accessible. We set the definition, the training, the teaching, and, 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 and auditing, and make sure everybody knows what they need to do and how to do it. And we have a great team, but the team alone can't work through the 100,000 folks at, at Google. So we, we had champs for years. And what we found, at least, at least within Google, is people are super excited for the first three, four months, and then their, their jobs happened and it sort of t- tapered off. So what we, we had, a, we have a couple of people on our team who, who do jujitsu, And we, we were sitting together saying, I wish there was a way we could gamify this. And someone said, well, why don't we do a dojo? I said, what's a dojo? Well, it's how you get belts. Oh, that sounds kind of fun. Well, it's, it's actually taken off. It's, it's an awful lot of work with there's still room, room for improvement, but it's really ignited inside Google. So we now have over 400 people who are active champions. And so in this dojo, at, to get through each belt, you have different kind of classes you need to take, classes you need to teach, presentations you need to give. So it allows us to scale the work that we do through hundreds of people in the organization. So thank you. That's I'm going to leave you guys to... to, to... Okay. So the obvious next question, Emma. <laughs> so, hi, uh, I'm Emma Richens. Uh, I'm a accessibility specialist at the BBC, so I'm not uh, the head of the team. He's sitting on the front row there. Um, uh, but I joined the team about four years ago um, after uh, quite a few years working at the BBC as a web developer. Um, and um, about a year later, kind of uh, got handed the reins of the Accessibility Champions Network that already existed. Um, and so I've been looking after our accessibility champions for about the last three years. And when I joined the team, there were like 27 champions, something like that, somewhere in that region. And we now have over 200 um, and probably an alumni of about 90 champions who are either have kind of backed away because their job role has changed in some way. Um, and so they're kind of uh, just advocating on our behalf now and not championing. Um, but uh, it's probably about 75 of those are now out in the industry championing accessibility at other companies um, and, and I've done a lot of the kind of taking on onboarding each of those champions uh, during the last three years um, but we haven't formalized it in the same kind of way with our HR or with any kind of uh, leveling process we're certainly looking to do that sometime in the near future um, but we do keep track of what training our champions have done. We have training that we encourage them to do. Um, and I think the thing that we struggle with is kind of trying to get them to then engage back to us to tell us the things that they are doing. Because I, I occasionally will have a, 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 um, a somewhere I'll run into in the lift or something like that, somebody that is one of our champions that I maybe haven't talked to for maybe a year. Um, and so I have no idea what they're doing. I, you know, For all I know, they've forgotten about it. And I'll end up having these fantastic conversations of all the things that they're doing to make their product more accessible. And so, yeah, I would love to put in some kind of system that helps us get that feedback a little bit better. Um, certainly at the BBC, that champion thing has been going uh, in, in a less formal way for quite a long time. I, I joined the BBC about just over 13 years ago. Gareth was already there. He used to turn up to these meetings that my team had 
And I had no idea why he was there or what he was there for. Um, <laughs> but I knew who he was. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't sure either. But we had a conversation this week and apparently he was already uh, involved with accessibility. He was a product owner for this accessibility toolkit that um, uh, a guy called Fraser Pierce, who sat opposite me, uh, literally in the same bank of desks, was working on. And so I was busy trying things out that he was doing. He, he would develop stuff and he'd go, Emma, how is this doing? And I'd put it into what I was building and going, oh, yeah, yeah, this is an... And I would feed back to him. So... Uh, Gareth was apparently the product owner for that, which I didn't know, and, and several other accessibility things. And somewhere uh, a couple of years later, there was an accessibility group that was all uh, kind of feeding into the standards and guidelines. Um, and then around the same time, uh, half the BBC moved up to Salford. Um, uh, that, that accessibility group was resurrected again, and I joined that accessibility group. And to some extent, those accessibility groups are precursors to the champions. The people who were involved in those, a lot of them are now our champions. I tried to be a champion and didn't, so I ended up joining the team. My line manager wouldn't let me be a champion for some weird reason. <laughs> um, and so champion, I guess the champion thing, it's not going to be that, that highly polished thing straight away. It's something that will grow and you've got to find those people who are interested and, and somehow or other kind of keep tabs on them and be aware of them. Um, and I think one of the big things that we changed with ours was getting them to network, getting them to talk to one another and to help each other out so that those kind of cross-product things were happening. So somebody who'd figured out how to do something over here could help somebody who was now having to do that same thing over, he- over there. And that's been a big success within our network. Perfect. So I think this is my turn now. Yeah. Um, my name is Cassandra Marrero, and I'm a modern communications product marketing manager. So I come to this with a completely different view, I guess, uh, from these guys, because I'm an accessibility champion myself. So I'm part of one of the V teams or virtual teams for Microsoft that actually drives and, and, and leads with accessibility. And I'm one of the 30% people in the UK that has gone through an accessibility in action batch. So that's a training program that we've set up in order to empower, I guess is the best word to describe it, empower and enable our employees to be more comfortable about talking about accessibility and what it means. And the actual aim is really to drive that accountability and that transparency and and really accessibility should be standard, it should be part of what we do. So through that Champions uh, badging program, that's one of the activities that we've been focusing on. There's many other things, as you said before. It's about learning and sharing from each other. So there is two angles that we've taken in everything that we're doing. One is our internal readiness. I think Jenny mentioned yesterday that we are in a journey. We're not at the destination. And if we think that we are, we're probably wrong and we need to reassess, right? Um, So I think it's very important, the part of the journey that we are in and we are learning and we want to learn from each other. So internally we have accreditation, we have support networks, we have obviously the employee resource groups and many other areas. But externally also we are working with customers because we are keen to show what we're doing but also learn from what they're doing. We want to, to share. We had recently Purple Tuesday, I think it was last week, if my maths uh, get it correct. And we actually had a number of different people in the room, retailers, and people that usually in other contexts, competition maybe even, um, we're all in the same room discussing the same topics. How do we actually enable 
a more accessible workplace. And I think it's great the way that we've actually been uh, driving the momentum. For me, accessibility is something that is very personal. And I always say when I go and talk to other people that you have to make it personal. It's not necessarily about you uh, knowing someone that has a disability or the fact that um, you are a person with a disability. It's more about actually caring that it should be equal for everyone. Um, I came from the being a parent with a child with a disability. And for me, it's incredibly important. My first struggle, you know, we talked yesterday about carrots and sticks. Um, my first struggle with this with the schooling system because I knew that he needed support in certain ways. However, when it came to the school, they needed a paper. They needed something that said that that's what he had been diagnosed with, ASD in his case. So up till the point that there was a a doctor's letter, it was all about, actually, he's just being defiant. He doesn't like what he's being told. So this is about hidden disabilities as well. And this is an enormous part that we're focusing on. So it's everything that we can actually drive. Um, so I think we've, we've got an enormous momentum. We, like you, we have an enormous uh, uh, champions network. I think we are about 450 people at the moment in terms of champions. But reality is, like Jenny said yesterday, 145,000 people within the company that are actually our accessibility champions, whether more or less active. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me. And last but not least, <laughs> this is Emanuela. I'm from the digital accessibility team at Barclays. Um, so my experience is very different from everybody else's experience um, because I joined the team two and a half years ago now. Uh, it was the very first time I started working uh, in a large company like Barclays. It's the first time I was working in-house. I always worked as an accessibility consultant before. So um, it definitely was a challenging role for me to have in Barclays. And around six months after I joined the team, I was given a task to create an accessibility uh, champion network. I was really excited about it. I thought it was a really great, good idea, but I had no idea whatsoever how to do it. Um, so in the past couple of years, I basically tried lots of different things. Some have worked, some have failed, uh, but even when I did something I didn't particularly um, work very well, I did learn from it. Um, so it has all been very good and, and, and useful. Um, and I guess the very, very first challenge I had when I had to start the network was, okay, we have 80,000 plus employees. How do I recruit people to become accessibility champion? And I did try two very different things. One was to try and reach out to people who had um, showed interest in accessibility in the past by signing up to the newsletter that my team sends around uh, internally. And the other approach was, actually, let's send out these... uh, email to all the product owners and scrum masters in Barclays, so thousands of them, and, and luckily we had a list, and let's ask each of them to nominate a person in their design or development team or test team to become a champion. That way there will be a champion in each team. So I thought this was a great idea. As it turned out, <laughs> it wasn't the best idea I had. So that was a very important first lesson for me. What I realized there is that when someone is nominate, nominated to be a champion, very often it doesn't work that well. To be a 
you know, a great accessibility champion, as we, I think all of us just said, you need to have... Um, you, you need to have the desire to be a champion. No one can tell you you need to be an accessibility champion. Um, so it was a very first important lesson that I learned. And then something else that I um, had to do, well, I didn't have to do, but I tried out and worked out quite well, was um, outlining uh, very clearly what the benefits of being an accessibility champion is. Even when someone has the desire to be an accessibility champion, I think it's very beneficial to actually um, explain that there are lots of benefits of being a champion other than doing the right thing clearly, um, such as you really get knowledge that will be very useful in your career in any company you will move on later on, as there is, as we said, this momentum around accessibility, I hope that in the next few years what we will see is that all companies will start asking developers, designers, UX people, anyone really, um, to have accessibility knowledge and skills. So it's very useful to get this knowledge as you work in Barclays being an accessibility champion. Um, so by highlighting some of these benefits, I managed, to, I think, to get some more people interested in the role. But also what's probably most important is that these benefits could be used by the people who wanted to be, to be a champion as selling point to their line manager. As Emma said, if your line manager does not support you in your role as champion, they won't give you the time you need to be a champion. They won't give you the resources you need to be a champion. Um, so, for example, uh, suggesting that the, the champion would add an accessibility objective in, in their yearly um, objective. I can't remember how it's called now, but at the beginning of every, every year, all employees need to set up the objectives they want to reach by the end of the year. If, if they actually add one or more accessibility-related objectives um, in their PD, that's how it's called, uh, then the manager will have to give them the time and the resources to achieve those objectives. So these are some of the things that um, seem to have worked well when I was trying to attract champions. I guess the next challenge for me now will be now that I do have, even not as big as your networks, but uh, uh, I have a, a network of champions in Barclays who, who care about accessibility. What do I do next? Um, how I make sure that they keep on growing? How I make sure that they, that they keep on being advocates for accessibility? So that's something that I was hoping I could learn from other companies here today. Cool. Can I, so I'm going to start. There are lots of questions coming up on here. I'm conscious you guys can't see that as easily as we can, but, so I'll, I'll translate as well. <clears throat> but before we get to that, I'm just interested in you, yourselves and your roles and your work. Um, what, uh, what particular skills and knowledge do you think have been relevant? I, you obviously have some accessibility skills between you, but uh, what skills are particularly helpful in terms of building the network? I mean, is it that you have to be the best person in accessibility and then you go and talk to them, or are there other skills that you're using? So if I go back the other way, Emmanuel, what skills are you using day-to-day -day in the sense of growing the network and encouraging people from your own point of view? Um, I think the most important or, or the best way to approach this is to, to try and understand the constraints uh, and challenges that your champions may have. Because 
what's probably most frustrating for me to, for me to see is when uh, we have champions who are really passionate. They may also have a lot of like technical knowledge about accessibility. They really want to do it, and somehow maybe they're not given the time to do it. Maybe um, th- their line manager is giving them high other priorities. Or there may be technical limitation with the platform they use, for example. Um, so I think you really need to have a dialogue, understand what is, it is that it's preventing them from achieving uh, the results that we were all, were all hoping to achieve um, and trying to provide them the support that they need keeping in mind that there are these limitations that at the moment you may not be able to overcome. I think if I, if I add to that as well, completely agree. The support side is absolutely key. Um, the, the way that I see it as well is you need to have a sufficient representation from across the business and each and every one is going to bring something different. If we were all the same, then it would be a pretty boring um, world, right? We need to all. So it's not about everyone being technical. Some people may have better presentation skills. Some people may be better people's person. It, it, you know, it's about really taking the best out of each of those. And I think it's important because accessibility should play a part, if it's not already, in all of the areas of the business. So, you know, if you're talking about marketing, it's about how do we go to market? You know, every collateral that you actually put up, we should all know about that. If you're talking to customers, what about inclusive meetings, making sure that every single meeting that you do is actually inclusive, whether it's with subtitles, whether it's a transcription, whether it's breaks, could be a number of things. And if you're talking from a more technical perspective, you'll have the developers and all of those guys that are incredibly excited about how they can actually build upon each other. But I think it's about understanding the different skills from the individuals that you have in the organization and then supporting them in that journey. If I think from a Microsoft perspective, we've actually set up a, an accessibility library. You go in there, you select your role, and then you'll get a number of readiness that are specific to your role. Um, if I go there and I select my own role, it's going to tell me potentially about inclusive meetings, content collaboration, a number of other things, and how to speak about this. It's also about supporting that journey of if you want to actually be an active uh, evangelist of accessibility, how do we support you in that journey? You don't have to be excellent. A practice makes that perfection, right? So we just need to allow for the employees to have that support and the same for anyone else. Um, so I think it's important that variety and ensuring that you have representation across the board. Okay. Um, I was going to say, I think for myself and the skills that I have, yeah. one of the key things that I learned when I transitioned from being somebody who would have been a champion or could have been a champion, <laughs> um, uh, uh, I was trying to be a champion, <laughs> Um, into somebody who was kind of managing this network of people was realizing that actually I don't have all the answers because I was kind of supporting and helping people in a whole bunch of different roles. Um, And it took me a little while to kind kind of get to that point where actually I'm quite comfortable to go into a situation and know that I am not going to have the answers that they're going to ask for. Because they are going to ask, and they do. <laughs> you know, how do I code this? Well, I don't know. That's your job. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a coder anymore, but I know the things that you need to think about, and I know the th- questions that you need to ask, and I can help you to know what those questions are and to help them to understand those. So I, I've learned where my role is different now to what it was before. Um, and obviously where I'm going in with designers and with testers and with editorial people, 
that I don't come from their background at all. That is the only answer that I can give. But it's nice to be able to kind of go in and go, well, actually, I, I now have a whole bunch of reading and things that I have learned and I can guide you. And I think being able to guide others, being really approachable. Um, uh, I, I, I'm really bad with names. I'm very good with faces. I know if I've met somebody before, I'm good with faces. But I'm really, really bad with names. But with the champions, for a long time, I seem to be really good with names. It seemed that way. We're, we're getting now to numbers where I'm kind of, I'm really struggling, especially if I haven't met them in person. I really struggle sometimes to go, oh, that's one of our champions. But for quite a long time, I was able to go, oh, that's one of our champions. And I could walk over and I didn't have to remember their name necessarily, but I could remember what team they were in and I could ask how it was going and I could get that kind of update just as a, a lift conversation. So being really approachable um, is definitely a, another thing that, that is good. Um, but I totally echo the sentiments that you're giving. You've got to help your champions kind of know what those first steps are, know kind of what, how to make accessibility really easy for them. So there's still a lot more to learn, but here's where you can start. Um, uh, so we have like a little task, <coughs> task that we ask all our new champions to do, and it's different depending on what role they're in, um, that just effectively does two things. One, it gets them looking at our guidelines and thinking about it in relation to their role so that they actually start to understand those guidelines a bit and what it means for them and their role. And two, gives me an idea of what they understand and how much support they're going to need. That's all that task is doing. Um, and it's, like I say, slightly different depending on role, but it's, it's a good place for them to start. And they kind of go, oh, actually, I can do this. And then point them at a whole bunch of resources and a whole bunch of other champions that they can go and talk to. Cool. Yeah. I completely agree with everything that, that's been said to date. Um, in terms of personal skills, uh, two of the things that, that come to mind for me. One is uh, generous in terms of praise. It, it is important mm-hmm. to reflect the, the success and what people have given, what's done, because the incentive is, is part of it. You, you, can people ha- you can have people do something out of the goodness of their heart for only so long. But if you give them thanks, you get their, their, a set of notes to their manager. So being generous in praise is, is one really helpful thing to keep things going. Another thing is being an over-communicator because also you want to make sure everybody is remembering that you're there. Remembering is important. Let them know this new law has been passed, this new lawsuit has been happened, this great new product has been shipped, and, and keep the excitement going. But it's one of these things you, you don't want to do too much because you don't want to make it noise. But you have to keep it engaged and keep the community engaged enough so that they remember it there, that it, it's present, and you make it fun and you make it enjoyable. So uh, those, those things help. Cool, thank you. Um, so picking a question here, um, you're, you're stepping into an organization tomorrow that doesn't have an accessibility champions network. What's this? Okay, I'll give you a couple of steps. What's the first couple of things you think that you should, you should be doing? Um, I'm going to tie it into, I'm going to connect it to a question that uh, has just popped off there again, is about how much senior buy-in you think you need. Because I, I guess there's going to be a question about what you've it discovered is. when you step in. So, you know, when you stepped into a new organisation, when you're looking at getting going, what are the ingredients you're looking for and what's the first step? So, Emma, I'm looking at you. You can start. <laughs> I was going to say, Gareth did a really good talk about this at GA Conf if you want to go and look it up on YouTube. So I'm going to give his highlights here. So you need two things to start this off. One, you need to find a senior stakeholder, somebody who gets it, understands it, and will back you up when you start asking for support and for money and and things like that. Somebody who will go, yes, that's a really good thing. We should be doing that. So you do need to find that person who who will be your sponsor and who will be your senior person. They'll get other people in as well, but you need to find a person that, that gets it and understands it. 
Um, and then the second thing I would suggest that you need is that you need to find a, a who your people are who are already doing that. Who are the people who are already advocating accessibility, who are already championing it? Find them, get them talking to one another, get them kind of effectively ruminating and, and, and kind of building a little underground movement that, that, that effectively is a champions network, even if it's not formally called that yet. Um, and get those people on board and start supporting them with their work and get them talking to their colleagues. One, one of the key things that has changed in our Champions Network in the time that I've been there um, is changing from a concept of being a one person per product. Um, and that's sort of coming back now. We've got a couple of accessibility leads now, which is great. But rather than having one person per product who just feels like they're banging their head on a brick wall because nobody's listening because they haven't got time, we now have lots of people in the product who all back each other up and they're, they're building it into their job. So it becomes a cultural change. It becomes a part of their job. It's just doing their job better. And that makes it much easier for them to do. But you've got to find those people who will share that with their colleagues and let them know that actually this is doing your job well. It's not some difficult thing that you're going to have to fit in at the end of a process. Mm. That sound, uh, Cassandra, that sound? Yeah, I, I was going to say I completely agree. And I think sponsorship is one of the key <laughs> things around any change management, right? So we're dealing about, uh, we're talking about culture transformation and culture has people at heart. And when you're talking about people and changing the way that they're doing things, uh, you need that sponsorship because you're asking them to kind of take away some of their time and focus it somewhere else. The key thing I would say as well is you need to have your champions to have a purpose. So what is it that they're actually being asked to do? Why are they there? How are they going to do it? So if there is no clear purpose, it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, odd activities, not intentional. So you really need to have that very clear from the beginning so that you can actually enable them to do their best. So I think those are the two ones. It was interesting because I had a, um, Michael Vermish, my, my colleague, actually shared with me a little story as to how things started off. 2005, I think it was the year, there was this mum of a 10-year-old that actually sent an email to Bill Gates and said, hey, my son is really, really clever. He's getting all of these things. However, he's being shut down for all of the courses that he's trying to apply um, because of his disability. Is there anything that I can actually, that you can actually do? Funnily enough, and to the surprise of this lady, Bill Gates did get, the, the office of Bill Gates did actually reply to them, offering a number of resources to actually enable it. And Michael was just telling me, 20 years later, this person is actually a developer, you know, really well embedded into it. So it all goes about, you know, you have to have that person in there on the top, and you can start it from the bottom too. So, you know, you have the two approaches that work really, really well. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's my, from my end, purpose. Cool. Hello, Manuel. Uh, I mean, completely agree with all of these, and I would add another two um, things which I think are quite important. First of all, is to remember that everybody can be a champion. So when you build when you build a champion network, clearly you need to give champions a purpose and must be clear what it means to be a champion. Um, but not all champions need to be developers or designers. Not all champions need to know all about accessibility. As long as someone has the will to advocate for accessibility, they're perfect to be our champion. So for example, in the champion network that I've, uh, I've created, we, we clearly have lots of people working digital, but we also have, for example, um, some of the champions are PAs, 
and you may think, well, APAs has to do with an exhibit champion, but they do a great job because they are the, the, the people who see all kinds of uh, the slide decks that come through and they have like, to make them maybe pretty and send them around the team. And what, when what, the, what is the, the PA? Uh, sorry, personal assistant. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and when that decks come to them, they can actually notice, oh, this color really is not good with this icon. We need to change the color here. Or there is maybe a big um, image containing lots of text. So they may go back to the person who created it side and say, you know, you shouldn't be using images of text. So they're actually great champions and they do the job brilliantly. So definitely, definitely do not um, limit the number of, of people who can become a champion. And then I think once you, you have that support from the top and you start uh, recruiting the champion, the best way to actually um, get the network growing is actually ask the people who are your champions to do the job for you. So go out and recruit other champions for you. Um, and I think in that way, the network can really grow um, fast and become wider and wider. Yeah, yeah I, I want to just echo two, two things that are particularly resonant for me. One is that you don't, you don't have to start with an executive sponsor, but I find it sometimes easier to get an executive sponsor once you have some momentum. Right. We have a couple of wins. So <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily start with one, but have one in your back pocket. Mm. So have, have and, and what's even better is if you could have one of your executives be part of the, the, the group. Because then they then they can start sharing amongst their their leadership team and, and that that's really helpful. But you don't need to start with it, but you you can't grow past a certain point without it. That's right. And and and, and what what um, also was said is that you can't be just engineering. You you don't know who your best advocate is going to be. So you want to 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 embrace everyone. This is an inclusive conversation. You know, someone who's blind may be sort of myopic. Strange expression um, <laughs> about um, blind issues and may not be thinking, may not be aware of, or thinking of other issues. So you want to have a, a large group of people. So one thing that I would start doing is work with uh, the employee research group, ERGs, employee, employee research groups, where these are people who either are, are allies of or are people with different disabilities. This is a place I would start. Saying, hey, we want to kick off a group that, that's focused on this. Is anyone willing to step up and work with us? And then that's a sort of a very a fertile field. Cool. Um, and a related question, because uh, uh, we saw yesterday um, in the panel, um, Jenny is a good example, I think, um, especially since she's not here, we could talk about her. Uh, the, um, how important is the, is the high-profile leader? You know, so uh, there's this difference between going in and working on the ground, but you all work in organizations where there are known people, because it's probably you now in that role. (laughs) But, but, you know, that the organization recognizes the value of this, and presumably somebody's in there continually banging away. And someone like Jenny, you know, clearly is using some of her force of personality to get that across. Do you see that happening in your organization, you know, that, that they're known and that they're known within the organization and you're known to be working with them? Is that an important part of the change that comes uh, further down in the organization? I, I think it's an accelerant. Because if, if, if there's someone that you can relate to, someone that you, you are inspired by or someone you just like, someone you want to have a, have a, a cup of coffee with, having someone there really helps sort of focus the attention. I mean, in, inside Google, I mean, our, our, our CEO has made, for the first time in this past Google I.O., the first statement about our support of how important accessibility is towards us. He spent 10, 15 minutes in, in his Google I.O. talk, which is only an hour, 
talking about the, the different things that we were doing, that accelerated the excitement of people inside Google. It made it more cool. And the cooler it is, the more people want to do it. The more people want to do it, the cooler it becomes. So it sort of creates this sort of self-sustaining cycle. Yeah. So having that person on top really accelerates the process. And you're still working through the coffee appointments now, presumably, on the back of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I've, I've had to stop. I'm, I'm, I'm done to tea now. <laughs> <laughs> But are you guys aware of that in terms of your organization, that the profile of the leaders and, uh, you know, uh, the, the, different, the different ways that it's good and bad, obviously, uh, that, that yeah. things get hooked onto somebody say, well, you're just doing that because that person's uh, doing it. So it comes both sides, I guess. Yeah, I think I think for me, it's very useful places like this where people don't necessarily know me, but they know Gareth and they know Jamie. And I can just go, oh, yeah, I work with them. And then people instantly kind of know where I'm at. Um, at the BBC, that that's the same a little bit, I guess, around the BBC. Um, I, I would rather Gareth answered that question in terms of is it useful being somebody that's known around the BBC? Do you feel like you're somebody who's known around the BBC? doesn't make you popular. <laughs> <laughs> no, this isn't a popularity contest. It, it, it's it's <laughs> one of these things because I've been you know, banging on at this for about 15 years now and, 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 and set up the accessibility team and stuff but that's not me. I mean the person that is always that person is the director general of the BBC, and and this is why I'm kind of in some ways we you know we, we've kind of been privileged because it's actually in our royal charter that the BBC is for everyone, and accessibility enables it to be for everyone. So you just turn around and just say, well, yeah. I mean, at one point I did try and actually get to the job title of head of everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <completely> rejected. Uh, <laughs> it was always worth asking, um, but yeah, it, it's one of those. And they, every single director general that comes on just always talks about this because it's inherent within the organisation. And you just contextualise it and say, "Well, you've said it, and I'm helping enable that." And then you realise the entirety of the exec board are, are, are those people. And so there is a board level executive champion. And all they do is keep that conversation and reporting and understanding. And we've had the last two have been the chief financial officer, which is an incredibly useful person to have as an accessibility champion when they've got all the money. <laughs> um, and now it's the director of policy. Um, but it's the one that just wants to take it up and they want, to, they want to learn about this and they want to just turn around and say, well, yeah, I'm the advocate. They never weighed in. It's not a policing thing. Mm. And it just reinforces culture. And I think some people have mentioned culture all, all through it. That is the key to all of this. And it's not about necessarily an individual, but some type, But if they can reflect that culture and encourage that culture and be an example of that culture, then individuals are very useful. Great, thank you. So um, in the, back to the sort of justification bit, I guess. Do you have a sense of, if somebody was to ask you how much time a champion is going to take up in their job, there's a question here about how many hours should an accessibility champion dedicate to be an accessibility champion? Now, to me, that it's going to be a, a slippery question. But what do you say when people say that to you, if you're having to justify the use of that team in that way? Wouldn't it be great if we just went into a mode where accessibility was just part of what we do, and then suddenly we don't have to talk about how much time we spend on it? So I think there are, you, know, you can be an accessibility champo- a champion and be as subtle as actually just putting something in your signature that makes people reflect and think and then take action. Or you could actually simply be the one that is driving that inclusive uh, meeting and everyone then goes and copies you because that's, hey, you know, that worked great. There was great feedback and that just drives momentum. Or potentially you're someone like myself, Michael Bermish, that actually we spend quite a bit of time in a kind of empowering the field. Um, and it could go weeks the way you just do a couple of days to a full week of just fully focused on accessibility. But I think you have to have a variety of people across the organization. So in my opinion, and everyone else would say something different, maybe, but you don't have one that says, like, for example, for driving change, we say you should expe- spend 
you know, around 10% of your time in whatever change you're actually doing. Is that the right number? I don't know. What is it that you're trying to do? You know, where are you in the journey? Um, and then you'll be able to assess what's right and what's not. But every little thing I think that any of your employees actually does actively to drive accessibility is going to be towards that, whether you are intentional about it or just do it as part of your day-to-day. But the, the, the efficiency of people, when you really know what you're doing, you could be much more impactful in, in, in an hour than yeah. if you're just getting started. So I think that there's a temporal and a skill aspect to it that, that really needs to be taken into consideration with this. Yeah, mm. yeah I agree. I think that being ch- a champion as in integrating accessibility in your day-to-day job should not take any more and, uh, any additional time. You just, If you're a developer, you just develop something that is accessible. What may be required in addition to do your job well uh, for an accessibility champion, maybe, for example, um, organize a meeting with your team where you talk about accessibility or train up a new developer who comes in who doesn't have uh, the skills because no one taught him at university, for example. Um, So there may be some additional uh, tasks that someone as an accessibility champion may decide to take on, uh, but other than that, it should just be part of your um, daily job, really. Yeah. Uh, so a question related, I guess. Do you have a sense from the way that you're accounting for your own time and other time, how much investment you're putting into people in the network rather than how much time they're spending? Do you have a budget? Do you have a sense of how that's costed? Or, I mean, if you were going to start from scratch and you said, okay, well, I need, it's going to take me two years, I'm going to have to spend this much time and I'm going to need somebody at this level. Have, do you have that scale of commitment made or do you have to just worm away organically? <laughs> Um, certainly been very organic for us, I think. Um, obviously, there, there was a team, and so there were people who were being paid to be worrying about accessibility and trying to improve that. Um, and I know for the champions, um, bef- kind of in, in the time from when it kind of started as a formal network to a little time after I started uh, kind of uh, looking after it, um, new champions were told that it would, you know, Around 10% of your time, similar kind of thing. You, you can think of it as a kind of a one in 10, whatever, because, because that was a concept that was, was there already in the business. You know, use your, use your one in 10 time uh, to, to be championing. When I take on new champions now, they get explained that it's part of their job. So, um, you know, I, I ask them to do three things. Uh, um, I, you know, I kind of explain it to them. We, we, we just want you to champion. That's all we want you to do. So when you're doing your job, Think about accessibility. Make it part of your job. If you're a dev, you're thinking about ex- how you're coding it. If you're a designer, you're thinking about what the focus is, whatever. Um, so do your job that level up. Raise the bar on how well you do your job. Um, encourage those around you to do the same. So talk about it with your colleagues. Encourage them to be doing the same thing in, in, uh, when they're doing that same job. So, and then in the meetings that you already go to, your, your, I don't know what you guys call them, post-amigos, pre-amigos, um, backlog shaping, whatever your, those meetings are that you're already going to in your team. If you're thinking in the back of your head, but what about that user? Make sure that topic gets talked about because actually accessibility happens at the points where those conversations happen. And a team of five people or however big we are now cannot be in the hundreds and thousands of those conversations that happen every week across the BBC, never mind the bigger organisations. But the people who are in those teams who are championing accessibility for you, they're already going to those meetings and they can make sure that those conversations happen when they should. Mm. And that way it 
it gets thought about and talked about really early in the process and not two weeks before launch when you do an audit and realise you're not accessible. Sorry. Um, So I guess from my point of view, I would ask the question back, what's the cost of actually not doing anything about it or not actually investing the time? Sometimes I think we focus too much on how much it actually takes us to train, to ready, to kind of go and do. But actually, if you're not doing it, how many customers are you losing on the way? How many, how much money, how much profit, how much, you know, think of it from a business perspective. We have to do it. And I think it's more around the other question around rather than, you know, how much investment I have to put into it to make it work. The training and the investing time to learn. You know, so from a business point, putting that training in place and those are the Will return. those are the costs, and they're easy cost easy them. enough to kind of cost yeah. up and to monitor. Yeah. From from a champion point of view, it's it's investing that time, like with anything else that they yeah. would do in their career. Yeah. So other than that, it's just it's part of the job, yeah. and and then the time to learn. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, Manuela was saying earlier, with regards to they don't actually have people nominated to actually do this because if you're doing it because you care and you want to do it you'll find the time, you'll put it as part of what you're doing. If you're being told, this is an additional task that I have to take at the end of my to-do list today, and it doesn't make sense. I think that's really key as well. And making it part of your job. Our, 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 our champs, our, our dojo is not part of their job. This is their, their well, your one in 20, our, our 20%. Um, but if you can make it part of your job, then, then you have that much more incentive to, to, to do it and to do it well because you're actually being critiqued on it. That's right, yeah. So there's a related question, I guess, the other way around. I'm still in bean counter mode here. Um, how do you measure the impact of what you're doing in that case? I mean, particularly where you're saying it doesn't even have to be part of somebody's job. You're looking at their passion and their interests. How do you measure the impact of that? Do you measure the impact of it? I don't, I don't know if you would call it a measurement, but when I moved into the team four years ago, we were still getting asked to do audits. We were still getting complaints from the audience a lot. Um, we were still... Um, having pushback, huge pushback from products and teams. We don't have time for that. We'll do it. We'll worry about it later. That was very much the culture. And I have new champions coming to me now because they've had a conversation with a champion and I'll talk them through about what they, oh, that's already happening in our team. And, and how many customer complaints do we get these days? They are few and far between, um, which, is, which is a really good sign. Um, I have had to deal with a couple recently because we did things like take our stuff off uh, tune in. <laughs> that, that didn't go down too well. Um, but, you, you know, uh, there were good reasons. Um, but, yeah, those are ways that you can measure it, I guess. You know, what, what is the culture? Are your new champions already aware of accessibility because of what's going on in their team? Um, are your customer complaints down in regard to accessibility? How often do you communicate? Am I going to no, I was just saying, yeah, I completely agree. I don't think it's something you can measure, but something you can sense. Um, so when, even just two years ago, for example, when, two and a half years ago when I joined Barclays, um, a lot of the conversations started with me saying, talking to a product owner, for example, or a developer and saying, so what are you doing about accessibility? And the answer we get very often would be, what is that? What, what's accessibility? And which was quite... Depressing. Um, so when you talk with a, a product team now and you say, do you know what accessibility is? And like, of course, our developer is a champion and told us this and that. So even though it's not something you can measure, it's definitely something that you start seeing the impact. 
be positive impact. Definitely. And I guess to add to that is you can look at things like employee satisfaction, whether you do service, you can do your employee retention rates, you can do things like, you know, your hiring processes. You can look at so many things. You could say that there are assumed correlations to such, right? Because you can only assume that whatever activity you took is actually correlated to that. But it gives you an indication of, you know, the workplace that you're actually building. Um, and I think that's that's really important. Yeah. When you have champions who are coming and talking at events like this, that's right. yeah. you know you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got the microphone, I think, Steph. Yeah. yeah, is that on? Right. I'm just going to appeal to your bean, bean counter again. There is a bean counter answer to this. And if you want to know how much it's going to impact on your organisation, first, and I, I, you know I'm no fan of audits, but do an audit of how much time and money is spent refactoring design and code mm. and then basically that is your that was our our, our our entire business case is just say we'll hand that back it might take us two or three years to get there but we'll give that back to you as resource um for a very small investment and just everyone was like where do i sign because you know when when you're losing and refactoring can be 30 40 percent of all of your resource going fixing the stuff that you shouldn't have broken in the first place that's why I don't like the, it gets round the auditing problem. You know, don't break it in the first place. The champions yeah. stop it breaking. Therefore, you never need to audit. And build all well that originally. money then suddenly flows back into the organization and they're able to build more of the cool stuff that they wanted to do in the first place, but couldn't because they were so busy refactoring the stuff they'd broken last time. Mm. Yep. And, and making it part of their job is really important to that. Because yeah. if they're just volunteers, they, they have no teeth. There's, there's little, little ownership responsibility. Yeah, yeah. If... if the, the, in Google, we don't have this as our job. And, 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 and hearing this makes me really excited. I'm going to try and go back and, and, and make this change because I think that's an important part that we're, we're missing. If we can get, make it part of their job and give them the responsibility and authority to say, pull the, pull, pull the rope where we need to stop. We need to do something. Yeah, yeah. That would be really helpful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So uh, the, uh, the only thing I sounds a bit like, and I remember this conversation from some time ago, like maybe five, ten years ago, we'd have been talking about what's the business case for accessibility. Uh, are we close to having a business case for an accessibility champions network? Yeah, so, build, build it right the first And can time. that be shared in some way? Because obviously that's the sort of thing that other yeah. people can use then with some basic numbers that just said, we crunched the numbers this way, this is what came out, this is the remediation extra costs. Do they, is that, does that exist? Do people um, that? I went to a, a meetup uh, about a year ago um, of a bunch of testers in the Manchester tech community. And somebody from some other company, and if you come and ask me, I can dig out his name, um, did a talk. Now, he was a tester. And he had done an analysis of the WCAG guidelines and when you should first start talking about that um, in the production process. Because mm. he was fed up as of a tester of nobody doing anything about it until they found a bug and fed it back. And he worked out that 95%, and this is based on information that is in the WCAG pages and on other stuff that he thought about, but he had calculated that 95% of those WCAG guidelines, you should start talking about them and thinking about them before you even write one line of code, never mind send it to your tester. And that was an amazing stat to me of, of that kind of what it's called shift left that, that we were already thinking about and doing. We, we train our designers more than our developers <laughs> is, is the kind of route that we went in the end is actually this needs to go into the requirements and it needs to go into the designs because the developers just build what they're told to build. They obviously need to have the skills and, and know how to do it, but you know they, they build what they're told to build. And if they're told to build it in a way that works for accessibility, they'll build it that way. And it just gets made right in the first place. But yeah, that's, that's a good start to go away to your business with. 95% needs to be thought about before you even write one line of code. Sorry, I just got a text from Jenison. 
Where's Jenison? Is he in the room? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I can't see. There. Hi, Jenison. Sorry, I just got a text saying Jenison wanted to say something. <laughs> <laughs> and Gareth's got the microphone, so this is a really good way of getting my it's called delegation. microphone. Nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Jenison. Just can you introduce yourself, please? There's some people who didn't see you earlier on in the dinner, so. Oh, my goodness. Addy, don't do that. <laughs> uh, I'm Jenison Asuncion. I um, am Accessibility Engineering Evangelism uh, at LinkedIn. And I just had a question, and I submitted it through the, uh, through the Slido. But I'm wondering if any of you have different levels in your champion program. And if you do, if you could describe like what level one it looks like, what level two looks like, that kind of thing. I can go last. Actually, the other question I can add is people want to know whether they get a belt with your dojo. Okay, so, so, so anyone <laughs> so want to? You can go last with that one. I actually would like to, Michael would be able to actually cover this if, yeah, yeah. if we could. Of course. We'll I was going to say, while, while we're doing that, you carry on we don't it. particularly have levels, um, but to some extent we, we have get kind of different roles. So uh, we have champions who are doing that championing. Um, it's people who have kind of stepped back from that, who, who are no longer actively championing but are still on side or are just people who are on side, we kind of refer to as advocates. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really a formal program, but that's how we refer to them. Um, and we do have, like I said, a couple of people who, because they've been such brilliant champions, have now been put into a formal role of being an accessibility lead within their product. Mm-hmm. So they're working on it either full-time or kind of 50-50 um, a- agreement with their and I'm hoping we'll get a few more of those. But there, there are kind of levels. And then the next level up is our team. So we don't have very many levels. So that's, sorry, does their actual role change? Their, their actual job title is accessibility lead within, within their thing. So um, whether they're a developer or another role, they're an accessibility lead. So we've got a couple of those now. But that came from them being such brilliant champions. Hmm. Michael, tell us about Microsoft. So we do. Uh, just Is this live streamed? Yeah. So none of, nobody at Microsoft knows this yet. No, so this, this is a problem. <laughs> uh, so we're going to announce this uh, at International Day for People with Disabilities at Microsoft UK. We've developed a badge system uh, where people can earn badges, and those badges will represent levels. Um, typically, it will be, obviously, at this point in time, but we're thinking of next levels, one, two, three, four, uh, where one will go that you, you know the basics, um, so you, you, you know how to present in an inclusive way, you know how to communicate in an inclusive way, all of those kind of things. And then number two, that you genuinely do that as a practitioner uh, and, and actually be proud doing that, and, and you, you tell people. Number three is then how you actually implement that in your job and bring that forth in your contacts with your customers and so on. And number four is then when you, you're getting, at this point in time, to the people like Cassandra who are genuinely working in the field and things like that. Obviously, we will, because we're seeing that this is re- people are, because of the gamification and things like that, people seem to lap this up. So we, we are going to heighten the bar and get more challenges as we go. Turn it up to 11. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so so in, in Google, we have a dojo, and I was just confirming with Austin that there's, we have five levels, and we actually have two ways of referencing, one through five, because some people don't know the, 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 the belt colors like me. Um, but I know that black belt is, is, the, is the best. And there's white belt, brown, white, brown, white, brown, red, blue, and black, or changes around... The fact is, because I don't know, many other people won't know the order of the belts. 
but it, for the people who care about the Order of the Belts, they know. And, 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 and that matters. Like, I'm number four. That sounds really weird. But if I'm a black belt, that sounds awesome. So making it, having this relationship. of the, so we, we actually started with badges, and we realized this, this, with the different designs on the badges. And understand the relationship with them, the through line, was really hard. And then we had numbers, and, and then we thought it was effective, but we wanted to spice it. So then we did the, the dojo. And no, we, we don't yet have belts, but we're, we're, I'm trying to get us to do it. My, my, my dream is that we actually have a, de- a belt, and you put little badges on your belt. So, because then you only have to buy one belt. It's much cheaper that way. <laughs> um, but the, 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 the important thing is the, it increases engagement, and, 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 and it increases responsibility. And to your point... This is the best way to, to, to hire into the space. Mm. If you have someone who's taken the time to, and effort to be black belts, when you have a job listing, that's who you go talk to. Yeah. Because yeah. they're trained, they're passionate, and, and, and they're, they're exactly the person you want to come up and, and be part of a team. So for us, the, it, it, that's not why we do this. We do this because it's just way more work than any one person or any one team, no matter how big you are, can do. You want to spread it around. But to really move things forward, as, as you were saying, you actually want to have these dedicated leads of accessibility in these different program areas because they actually have the authority. They have the ability. They can go and complain. Me, Goff, in a, in a completely different product area, they, 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 yeah, leave us alone. But if someone in, inside the room is there saying, I'm in the meeting at the right time, I asked the right question, you can really cause change. Mm-hmm. So. This, 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 this dojo program, this, this champs program is a great way to bring everyone together, train everyone, make them passionate, and have them be in the room. And when they're in the room, you can make magic happen. Fantastic. Oh. Right, so um, we are... Uh, there was one, one question. One more question. Up there. I'm sorry, I can't sell these T-shirts. These, these, are, these, are, uh, these are made by... <laughs> well, there's 18 people who want one I, on here. That's why I wanted to. Just, just, I'm, I'm sorry. We, we, you have the, the bags. This is technically not not a. a pro, we're streaming this. Oh shoot. Okay, we're we're not supposed to have a Google logo not in the Google colors, and so this is contraband. You, you understand? This is technically contraband. So you've broken the embargo and you've been caught with illegal T-shirts. <laughs> well, no, but what's even better if you look at your bags that you got yesterday, you all have the same logo. Actually, you have the new one of the, so of we the same one. So we can stitch them onto a T-shirt. That's if you, if, if that's your style, yeah. Um, but um, it's not something that we're, we're, we're technically supposed to do, so we, we can't sell it. Um, and I'm not going to give you mine because it's cold outside. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but the, the swag, the, the, the things, the, is, is part of the bribery that makes these dojos, these, these things so well. You want to make it fun. You want to make it interesting. You want them to be able to show off. So we have stickers. We have T-shirts. We have mugs, water bottles, beanies. Uh, we, this is where you need the money. This is why you need the executive sponsor because if you're going to do this kind of, yeah. of gear, you need to have somebody be willing to cut a check for it. That's right. So you can do it without, but when you have something that people can look at, then it sort of increases the, the visibility of it. And so, oh, that's cool. I'm, I want that sticker on my laptop. How do I get that? And, and so it, it sort of builds up the reputation and builds the momentum. Cool. Sorry. Great. Um, uh, as you probably guessed, this session could have gone all... There may be another conference in this one. Um, so thank you all for uh, your questions. Just to remind you that we archive the questions at the end of the Slido, um, and we'll do our best to answer as many of those as possible anyway. I think we covered a lot of it, um, but we certainly got uh, an amazing set of responses from our panel, so I'd like to thank you all uh, a lot for that. Thank you.